Welcome to another episode of Sister Sit Down. My name is Queen Rafi and this is my podcast, Queen Rafi Space. And for today, I'm having somebody who I really like. I like all my guests, but I kind of have a very special connection to this person for some weird reason. Her name is Korede Aziz. She is a multidisciplinary creative working in film, podcast, sound design, videography, copywriting, and photography. And maybe sometimes she makes really moist chocolate cake. Welcome to the podcast, Kurdi Aziz. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was a bit weird hearing you read my bio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, is that me? <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast and being our guest on Sister Sit Down. Basically, Sister Sit Down is just that segment of the podcast where I like to talk to amazing Muslim sisters to just get their perspective. Actually, the young Muslim sisters who are coming up now to just get their perspective on what they do, how Islam has affected their lives, and sort of send that as a message to younger Muslim women. Because when I was growing up, I didn't exactly have a lot of Muslim role models apart from my family members. Same here. I see until I jumped on social media and I was seeing all of these amazing Muslim women everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. for me, this this um segment of the podcast is a way to document the amazing things that amazing Muslim sisters do. So thank you for being here. You're welcome. My pleasure. All right. So you are an interesting person because you describe yourself as a Yoruba Igbo Muslim. Yep, I do. And that's because you say that you grew up in Enugu State. Yeah. Despite yeah, the fact that you were born to Yoruba parents. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So, I mean, when we see or hear Yoruba Igbo Muslim, the first thought is, oh, she's half Igbo. Yeah. And I kind of disappointed when I tell them that, no, I'm not half Igbo. It's so that I grew up in Igbo land. So, I actually say that I'm Igbo by naturalization. Because the truth is, um, there are a lot of Igbo customs that I relate with more than you know the Yoruba side of things. Like food, for instance, I cook Igbo food all the time. My favorite food is like abacha, oku, you know, and soups and stuff. So we get started on amala. I don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> okay, I said I, when I started the podcast, this episode, I said I had a special um, connection to you, yeah. which is which you might be wondering why I don't even know this girl because I grew up in a place that wasn't Yoruba oriented as well. I grew up in the north. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a Hausa place. Like most people see me and they think I'm Hausa. Yeah, I, I speak the language, which you know doesn't really matter and everything. So I also did not have that Yoruba upbringing so much. I had more of the house acting all the yoruba upbringing i had trust me i got it from yoruba movies <laughs> so yeah i can relate to you know not being able to connect to some part of the yoruba culture and food and all of that so run us through how it's like growing up in any despite being a muslim because i grew up in the north there were muslims everywhere every corner <laughs> i didn't feel different but listening to your podcast that you did yeah, she's also a podcaster, guys. That you did about your experience being and uh, being a Yoruba Igbo Muslim. You talked about how you know a couple of experiences that you've had. But I'd like for you to just like run us through. What was that like being a Muslim and growing up in Enugu, which is much more um, Christian dominated? Okay, so I'm, I'm sure if you look at the statistics, you probably have like as much as 95% of the population of Enugu um, is Christian. 
are not just Christian and Catholic. A lot of them are Catholic. So um, as a child, of course, I wasn't visibly Muslim because I didn't grow up wearing hijab or anything like that. But I was always, I was still always the odd one out in class. So um, it kind of affected um, the way I had friends, like friendships and stuff. You know, um, you have groups of friends. For instance, you, you might think that you're close to some people and then one day someone makes some really nasty comments, you know, about maybe Muslims or something. And then you realize that, okay, maybe we're not, you know, the kind of friends that I thought we were and stuff. Mm. And growing up with that kind of, in that kind of setting, it kind of made my introversion a bit worse. The funny thing is, it's ironic when people, people who knew me when I was like three years old, three years old, four, five years old, see me now and then they're like what happened to you you used to talk so much you know everybody wanted to be like me now you're so quiet <laughs> you know so i feel like that also had you know, a lot to do with it and then of course it got much worse when i started wearing hijab like i think i started wearing hijab after secondary school you know so i became much more visibly muslim i don't remember i don't think i remember ever seeing anyone else on the streets of enugu wearing hijab right so I would walk and people would just be looking at me. People would shout Aisha at me. Um, people would shout Hadia at me. I'll be passing by a woman's shop and she'll be like, why are you so covered up? You know, I mean, people just didn't understand it. I was like, I was like the definition of an alien. It, it was funny. Wow. That, that must have been something. Yeah, there was, I wasn't going to take off my hijab for any reason once I started wearing it, you know, so it was, it was something that I just had to um, get used to. It's nice that you brought up the conversation of the hijab because that was going to be my next question. Despite yeah. the fact that I grew up in a, how I call it, in a household-oriented place, I've had an off-and-on relationship with the hijab. Okay. Uh, and... It, Getting to the point where I decided, okay, now I'm going to put on the hijab and I'm not going to be taking it off for any other reason. It was a long journey to that place. So what made, I would like to understand what your hijab journey is like. What made you say, you know what, I'm starting to put on this hijab today and I'm never taking it off again? Then, let me see. Okay, I think... You know, probably when it started to me, I was in SS2, I started developing an interest, um, a deeper interest in Islam and stuff. Um, I don't know if you know these magazines, Anasiha and... I know Anasiha. I just, oh my God, you're, you're kind of taking me back to my childhood. I used to read Anasiha. I used to read all those magazines because my parents used to go to these Asalatu meetings and they give them there. Exactly. So... <laughs> Those magazines were like a really big help, you know, it would be really nice, I, I hope it continues. But anyway, I used to read a lot of that and I would also research Islam, of course, there was Google. Mm. have questions, I'll Google them, even though it's not the best way to get Islamic knowledge, but that was what I had at the time. And of course, um, I had this really big English translation of the Quran, this commentary and everything. I've forgotten, it's quite popular, I've forgotten what it's called. So anyway, I used to read that a lot, and then there was Islam Channel. And after, you know, that period of time, that, ho that long holiday you have after like YAC exams. Yeah, where well, you're just chilling and waiting for when the admission is going to clear. So a lot, during that time, I was doing a lot of that, you know, just reading about Islam and everything. And the hijab just felt like something that was right for me to do. 
you know, so I started gradually. I started gradually by just covering my hair with a scarf. Um, of course, I was still wearing my sleeveless socks and my skinny jeans and all that, but you know, it was a gradual process. And of course, my entire wardrobe was not a very shabby <laughs> kind of wardrobe. So sometimes, you know, I would wear like my sleeveless top and then I will wear a cardigan on top or something. And a lot of times, my like, combinations look weird, but no, it was, it was a gradual process anyway. So um, the first day I wore hijab, it was actually an alumni thing. After our graduation party, the school had its alumni and they had like another party, like a get together kind of thing. So that day I decided I was to wear out my scarf out for the first time. Like proper proper hijab, not just wearing tiny scarf. So um, that day I wore loose pants, like black trousers. And I wore a long sleeve white shirt and like this striped scarf. And because my, my school was not too far from the house, I walked down. That walk was like the longest walk of my life. Wow. <laughs> it was like the longest walk of my life. And even though it was, there weren't too many people on the road, but you know, the people who are, who are on the road, of course, they look at me and you know, I'm very self-conscious and everything. But man, I just decided that I'm not going back to choose. I just have to, I just have to do this. So I got there to the get together at the venue. And of course, everybody was looking at me. Of course, they were like, oh, sorry, babe. But you could tell the air in the room was so different. I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, these are people that you probably would have seen me maybe the week before, two weeks before. And I mean, if I didn't have the hijab bond, they would have greeted me in a different way. And I was fuzzy with the bond. Yes, I was that kind of person. Yeah, you know, but this time around, the hijab, everybody was almost cautious, like, you know, what's going on, kind of thing. You know, I guess they didn't want to be too rude or too forward or whatever. But after that, you know, I got home and then I, I think I was probably smiling for the rest of the day because I felt like I had conquered. <laughs> and you definitely did conquer because I, I always used to ask myself, if I did not grow up in the north where almost everybody was putting on the hijab, where everybody was putting on the scarf, like, would I really have, would I really be putting it on when I was still having my struggles? Because when I got to school, I rebelled. Not like I ever, I don't think I ever not go out with my hair not covered. But you know, from the long hijabs, you decide, let me just use a scarf. <laughs> and when, yeah. during that period, I struggled a lot. And like you said, what really, what you said helped you is what brought me back reading and just researching and trying to understand why the hijab was important yeah so i have to say that you really did conquer and i think having the knowledge of why you were doing it made mm-hmm. it feel a lot more easier for you yeah i mean because you just get to the point where you just have this conviction i mean i didn't even come from a background where hijab was a thing yeah get kind of like almost like the Alaja of family. <laughs> this is making me ask, how did your parents react? Well, my mom, because um, I was well, I was just with my mom and my brothers then, and it was like, um, how, do I, how do I put it now? I don't know, maybe she thought it was a thing, you know, I mean, it wasn't like she was, she wasn't against it, definitely not. So, yeah. You know observing like mm, okay that kind of a thing but you know a couple of years later i mean she too she got inspired and started wearing hijabs like me <laughs> that's nice really really amazing story and this is why i say that people don't should not just assume see muslim women are 
we, we all have our individual stories Mm-hmm. Like, look at you, you as a person who inspired your mom. Somebody else will be thinking this should be the other way around. You know, like your mom should be the one inspiring you to put on the hijab. Look at me, my mom inspired me. I rebelled. <laughs> and I still found my way back. So, thank you so much for that one. Thank you for taking us through that. So, growing up in a place that isn't, whether you grew up in a place that is Muslim dominated or not, we all have some struggles that we go through with the game. What were your own struggles and how were you able to overcome them? Okay, I think one of my major struggles was probably um, dance. So in school, especially if you're seeing it, okay, throughout school, yeah, I wouldn't be very happy. You know, kids could run, they play football and football and basketball very well. You know, I tried a lot of these things. In fact, the first time I got in a, on a football pitch, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, after the course of a break, I'm like, I'm never going back to this. You know, so a lot of those kids that you know, didn't feel like they were good at anything other than academic. And then, in I think when I was in SS1, there was this, there was this group that came to my school. You know, all these things where they just call like an assembly during break time, or they have something here to talk to and blah, blah, blah. And then they, were, they said they were recruiting for, not recruiting, um, that they were starting like a cheerleading squad or something. Yeah. Oh, cheerleading in Nigeria. Hmm, interesting. You know, some of us, we watched those, all those cheerleading movies when we were in secondary school. <laughs> Anyhow, so um, they, they did the tryout the first time for the squad. I wasn't around, unfortunately. And then later, um, I got the opportunity to try out. And they were like, oh, okay, 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 fine, join the squad. And it became like my favorite thing ever. So the thing with the squad was, we didn't just do cheerleading, we also did like dance. So um, hip-hop, salsa, contemporary, and we perform at school events, like graduation party, um, Christmas party, and all that stuff. So um, after school, we used to be school like, 3.30, so 3 o'clock we'd go down, we'd rehearse to about 6, you know, and all that. It was, it was mad fun, it was, and it made me feel good because, I mean, I was someone that was never good at school. And what we were doing was competitive cheerleading, right? So, competitive cheerleading is classified as a sport, actually. It's not just um, cheering for a football team or whatever. Um, we used to go for competitions and stuff, especially with commanding secondary schools. Those ones they were our main rivals, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> As I was learning um, more about Islam and stuff, you know, and how there should be physical boundaries and separation between males and females and all that, you know, I began to question um, what I was doing as a dancer because I did a lot of contemporary. Um, sorry, not contemporary, um, salsa. Now, the thing with salsa is you have a dance partner who is a guy, right? Yeah. So that was like a major concern for me. Of course, it was hard because dancing, this is something I loved and I was good at it. And then, of course, there was this crisis of my faith, which was telling me that, eh, you know, you shouldn't be touching boys. <laughs> basically so there was a time I tried to pull away 
from the whole dance thing, especially salsa. But you know, some I just I just couldn't. Then what even happened? I think it wasn't until I left secondary school that I was finally able to just pull myself away from it and just cancel my plans of ever being in the dance school in in university. But it wasn't easy for me because um, it took me about a year to 18 months for me to be able to finally make that decision. Mm. You know, just break it off. And of course, in between that period, in fact, there were moments of guilt and moments of, in fact, it, it wasn't funny. <laughs> it was a real struggle, but yeah, eventually you be being one, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's one that we want to win. And it's nice that you say this because sometimes some people feel like you know oh this thing i'm doing there's no way i can i can let it go oh my dear is gonna forgive me but you have to realize which do you really want to serve do you want to serve the world or do you want to serve oh my dear and that's where the demarcation for things like that come up yeah, i mean once I, mean, I feel like once you know what your priorities are it becomes easier yes it's going to be difficult to let go of something but once you start working you take that first step towards working you know towards being the better person that, that you want to be i think that's the most important thing really and yeah. interesting when i got into uni i had a friend a really close friend who had the same struggles even as far as into university she was a brilliant dancer she had even joined a dance group in school you know and then people started telling her at MSS that this dancing thing you are doing you should not be doing it at first she was defending it like no something i have a talent for and you know god cannot allah cannot say that i can't do this and stuff and she started doing the research and stuff and she found out well, okay you know and she stopped and at the end of the day you know that you know <laughs> Of course, you won't. And you know, the truth is, Oh my dear, I will always find a way of replacing it for you with something else. Yeah. yeah, something much better. So you do a lot of things already. You mm. are, mm. you are into videography. I watched your video via your dish page. Really amazing. Well done. You also do photography. You do sound design, copywriting. Yeah. You even work as a full-time producer. Yeah. for BBC Media Action. How do you combine all these things? Give us the trick. Um, <laughs> so the thing is, all of these things are kind of interrelated, yeah? I always had my creative side, you know, and I'm the kind of person who likes to build things. And because of that, you know, at first I thought I wanted to be an engineer, so thank God I did not make that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so um it was when i got into university and i started doing campus radio you know it opened my i mean i just realized that man i really love this and broadcasting media is what i want to do and then after four years of doing radio i decided that okay i want to taste tv you know so i was determined to work in a tv station and i got posted to abuja and i managed to find myself in it TV station. And after that, I told myself, and of course, all this time I was picking up, you know, gradually. Then um, after the TV station thing, they wanted to keep me, but nah, because I mean, you guys, you guys cannot pay me. <laughs> 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 you know, 
time. Like I didn't want to do any of that. And then lucky for me, I found this copywriting job. It was a remote job, you know, work from home and stuff. So that was how I got into copywriting. Um, then after copywriting, that was when I, after working there for almost two years, that was when I got my CBC job. Now, the interesting thing about BBC Job was all the skills that I had picked up along the way, I was able to combine them in this job. That thing about it is I live about an hour away from work, so I have to get up early. By the time I get home, I'm tired and everything. But because then I know that I can always sit down in one place, I'm kind of pressing that if I'm doing if I'm doing the same thing every single day, I'm going to get burnt out. I'm going to get I'm going to get sick of it. You know, I need variety in my life. <laughs> so shortly after I started my job, I joined the film collective. I started a film collective with few other people. So that was how um, I wanted me to shoot my first film. And um, other weekends, and of course, it was like a weekend, weekend thing because of my full-time job during the week. Then other weekends, I said that oh, somebody is getting married. Ah, can I come and shoot? your wedding don't worry i will not charge you for free then um or i see on instagram that somebody wants to shoot a fashion video i'll be like ah, have you found a videographer yet? i think i'm do it for you now you know that kind of thing because i knew that i just wanted to practice and practice and practice because for me the long-term goal is um creating quality content for muslims because i mean i grew up watching television and i never saw anybody who was like me and I wanted to change that, yeah. So whatever whatever um, free time I have, you know, that's where my mind is. Whether I'm writing something or I'm thinking of how to shoot something, whether it's a podcast or whatever. So I think if you have a goal in mind, then it becomes... Um, it doesn't become... It, it becomes a little easier to combine all these, like you said, you know, because it doesn't matter whether it is radio or whether it is TV. As long as I'm telling the story that I want to tell, I'm passing the message that I want to pass, then it's enough for me. I just happened to um, be in places where I could get all these different skills, you know. So, and the thing about me is I learn fast, you know, and um, I always want to learn what the next best, best thing is. Because of that mindset as well, I'm able to just learn and retain that knowledge and then apply and it, it, it always does help for instance my knowledge in radio was what got me okay i didn't even mention during my service year i was able to get an internship with um, bbc media action a sound engineering internship and i was able to get that because of my experience with radio yeah i've done a bit of audio editing and all that yeah so yeah so it was just those little, 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 little things that just kept on. So I think it's very important. You're, you are very amazing. I just have to say that. So we're getting to the end of um, the interview. And I have to say thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. But I want you to leave like one advice for a young Muslim out there who is growing up. Who is growing up in an area where everywhere she looks doesn't exactly look like they feel like her what would be your advice because you you have lived through that and you are successful right now i can say that <laughs> yeah so what advice would you give to that young girl who is probably in enugu who is in abba abia somewhere just feeling out of place because she's a muslim then i'll say enjoy it while you laugh because i've come to realize that Every stage in life is an experience that you are going, that is going to pass someday. Even the ones that feel like negative experiences, take whatever you can from it. 
yes, they might make you feel bad. They might make you feel anxious. But there's a part of you that's also getting stronger because of that experience. So try to focus on that instead. It might sound big, but if you really sit down and think about it, there's really no point letting anybody beat you down. You know, instead of letting um, that whole world corner you and make you small, you know, it's a fight, kind of. It's like a push and pull thing. You have to keep pushing, right? So that you are not just putting in that corner where you feel constricted and, you know, I mean, be proud to show the world who you are. There's no point just sitting down in one corner. Because the truth is, a lot of times, the way other people will make you feel, based on the fact that they are different, is due to their ignorance. Not because of you know, so yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that one and thank you so much for giving us your time. Oh my god, this has to be one of the best sister sit down I, I have done. I think I said that every episode I do because Muslim sisters are amazing and they teach me so much whenever I have them on this segment. Thank you so much for being an amazing guest already. It was my pleasure to be on your show. Thank you for having me.